Content warning. Check the show notes for more information. It's March 29th, 1848, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. Late in the evening on this day in 1848, a New York State farmer named Jed Porter left home for a stroll along the Niagara River and noticed that the usual thundering roar of the Niagara Falls had been replaced with an eerie silence. And on further investigation, he discovered that the entire falls, which usually deliver more than 168,000 cubic metres of water every minute, had, for the first and last time in their recorded history, effectively stopped. And within hours, the workers who worked in the factories and mills all along the sides of the river, which were powered by the force of the water, realised that something was terribly wrong too. The force of the falls had slowed to a trickle, which meant that all of that industry, which relied on the power of the water, just slowed to nothing. And it wasn't long before tourists started arriving. I mean, tourism had been Niagara's main industry for a while now. It had started booming around the beginning of the 1800s. So by the middle of the next day, hundreds and then later thousands of people had gathered to see this once-in-a-lifetime event. Yeah, but if you're one of those tourist operators, you've got to be hoping that it's a once-in-a-lifetime event, haven't you? I mean, you're going to want to cash in on everyone coming to Walk. see it as a freak occurrence, but you must be thinking Walk in the back the of your mind. Walk the riverbed. Who wants to come and That's see fun. a dry canyon? Like, there's plenty of those yeah. elsewhere in the United States. It's not going to be a honeymoon destination. And yes, not only the entrepreneurs running the tourist attractions there, but also the people who are running other industries as you alluded to, Rebecca, required the waterfalls in a way that I think, for obvious reasons, we kind of neglect now, which is things like the operation of water wheels. It was literally the power Mm. of the water that made their businesses work because they didn't have electricity. But also some of the images that I found of like the descriptions of like fish and turtles that were left floundering on the riverbed and beneath the falls, you know, just the like the the bizarreness of what this would have looked like to your average person who was used to seeing like thousands and thousands of gallons of water just flooding over this thing constantly. Suddenly it was empty. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the tone of the reports, you can really see that shift on day one. It's a novelty. You've got people who are walking into the riverbed. They're finding artifacts in there. People were finding things like tomahawks, muskets, things that had been down there for decades, if not centuries. Brave people rode their buggies over the dry riverbed. And there was even a boat crew who used it as a chance to blast some rocks that had been a navigation hazard for their tourist boat. That's an amazing and very uniquely American detail, I feel. Yeah. Like I know there were like festivals when the Thames froze over and stuff like that and people put stalls up so that they could sell things. But the idea of like the tour yeah. operator blasting his way through this incredible <laughs> scene of outstanding natural beauty just be like we, we don't, that rock is always in the way I'm fed up of swerving around it let's just get rid of it. And this is sort of what happened on the this is the following day the 30th of March but then as the hours continue to tick by that sense of elation and novelty wears off and it starts giving way to anxiety even fears that the the freeze was some kind of omen you know like you say if you're looking at i mean you've literally got fish flapping around in a dry riverbed it feels mm. like a very sinister biblical symbol so they held church services on both sides of the river on the american and the canadian side you know people prayed for it to come to an end because it was start- i mean if you think about the eerie silence as well if you lived in a community where you were used to that constant mm. roar you must have felt like the world was ending and also remember the era as well this is 1848 you might remember our episode from last year not the end of the world which was about the Millerites were waiting for the second coming in exactly this era and thought the world was about to end and that it had been prophesied in this geographical locale like in New York State that's where a lot of them were based Mm. so there were people losing their 
thinking the end of the world had come at this point. And plus, it was really difficult to get information around. Like, the Telegraph was still a, a relatively new invention. And so they just didn't know. They weren't getting the information for what was actually going on, which was that these really strong winds had pushed huge chunks of lake ice into the extreme uh, northeastern tip, apparently, of Lake Erie, which blocked the lake's outlet that was headed for the Niagara River and thus onto the falls. And this thing was called an ice jam that then became an ice dam and the dam stopped the water. So it wasn't actually that the water froze on its kind of push over the edge of the falls. It's that further back up the river, the flow had been stopped. It's not actually possible for the falls, particularly the Horseshoe Falls, the Canadian side, which are much bigger and more powerful. They, you know, the water's moving so fast, they couldn't possibly freeze. Although even now, people do still say that, no, no, they're, they're, fro- they're frozen. I can see they're frozen, but they're not. It's the, fro- it's the jet of mist and spray coming off them all the time. It can get so cold that that can freeze, forming mm-hmm. a kind of icy crust, but the water itself would never actually freeze. And now it's actually not possible for this to happen because in the 1960s, they installed what's called an ice boom, or basically, the the first ones were sort of chains of timber strung together to hold back all that ice from flowing into the river and damming it up again and now they're steel pontoons but it's basically this could never happen again I mean Mm. so I mean the people on this day had no way of knowing this but they were seeing something that will almost certainly never occur again. I mean the other thing that it brought to a halt was Niagara's sort of fledgling daredevil history uh, that had begun in 1829 when a guy called Sam Patch, also known as the Yankee Leaper, uh, had gained fame by leaping into the Niagara Falls, though notably he didn't like jump off the top or whatever. He set up this platform near to the base of the falls and then jumped off the the platform into the falls. Still, you know, a bit daredevil-y. A bit daredevil-y, says Arian, judging this man. (laughs) Are you about to jump into Niagara Falls? I don't think so. I'm probably I'm probably not going to even with the aid of a barrel, which was the next thing. It, like it's so funny how barrels over the edge of and a waterfall are synonymous with Niagara. Well, like are people barreling over the edge of other waterfalls? So I looked into this and I was like, why barrels? And then I saw that the first person now he didn't go over the falls; he went down the rapids. But he was a barrel maker. So the whole idea of like, oh, there must be a reason people are going over in barrels. That must be some kind of thing. He was literally an English barrel maker called Carlisle D. Graham. He went down the rapids in 1886 in a barrel of his own making. And he invented the whole concept of going over in a barrel. I mean, if he'd been a maker of, you know, potato sacks, he might have been going over the falls in a potato sack. (laughs) Extreme sports day. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If this person to actually go fully over Niagara Falls in a barrel did survive, by the way. And I think that's why Mm. others were inspired to do it, to follow her example. Because, yes, surprise, it was a lady, Annie Edson Taylor in 1901. But if you read into the history, it's a little bit sad. She was a widow. Her husband had died in the Civil War and she had no money. And she thought there was a commercial opportunity in chucking herself, you know, into death, basically. I mean, she happened to survive. But the the gambit was, I've got nothing to lose. I might as well see what happens. And if I survive, I'll sell a load of merch. She thought there'd be a commercial opportunity in standing there at Niagara Falls to greet tourists. I'm the woman who survived in the barrel. And she did exactly that. And no one cared. She had sent a cat over the falls two days prior to attempting it herself. So she had a sense that she might make it if the cat made it. Though, you know, famously, cats are good at falling from places and surviving. Yeah, but do, uh, do you know what's weird about that is that the cat went over in a barrel. And guess what injury the cat came away with? The exact same one that Annie would get. The cat had a, a cut on its head and that's the only serious injury that she had. Do you know what's funny is I'm going to now have to put a content warning on this episode because of animal cruelty. No one yeah. gives a <laughs> 
about the people in the barrels, but now we've hurt a cat. We're going to have to warn people about this. But actually, there's a sort of long history of animal cruelty in Niagara Falls. I know a bit about this because we did a, a question and answer me this on it. The first publicity stunt that many people credit Niagara Falls as having played host to uh, was actually 21 years earlier than this event when Niagara stopped flowing in 1827. A chap called William Forsyth of the Pavilion Hotel came up with the idea to get an old merchant ship called the Michigan, fill it with wild animals, and send that boat over the falls. Uh, which what? he did. 10,000 tourists turned up to see two bears escape through the hull and the deaths of numerous buffalo, raccoons, and foxes. A single goose survived. What the hell was... <laughs> what was it supposed to be? Like a, a Noah's Ark motif? I but think so. in a version of the Bible where all the animals died. <laughs> yeah. But here we are 200 years later still talking about it. So, you know, <laughs> effective in a way. Well, back to the area in question. And actually, the river only stopped uh, flowing for about 30 hours. And then... The wind shifted and the ice dam at the, at the top of the Niagara River broke apart and the river started to flow at its normal rate. But apparently it really started in this most tremendous way. Like there was this loud, low-pitched growl I heard it described as, as the water just rushed down and then the flow returned to normal from there. And you can't help but think that there must have still been some people looking for tomahawks and <laughs> upturned turtles at that stage who would have had to get out of the way quick smart. That is going to be some extreme fossil hunting. Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow. Basically, instead of having a six-pack of beer or a spliff to pass around, you bring along a load of ether. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.